Well, it's a powerful story. Uh, maybe you can relate to parts of that. Uh, before we jump in on the last installment of our God for the Rest of Us uh, series today, I just want to say welcome to, uh, to you if you're a guest or you're kind of new at Mountain. Just glad you're here. Welcome. You're in the right place. Uh, I think it's going to be an important day for all of us. always is when we get together. So, First, let me give you a question. Um, what, uh, how, how many of you are, are, are Dr. Seuss fans? Any Dr. Seuss fans in the house? Because some people just think he's weird, but if you like him, raise your hand. Yeah, you do? What's the most popular uh, and classic Dr. Seuss story? Yeah, the correct answer is green eggs and ham. So yes, that's correct. So you remember how this thing works, right? It's a strange story. There's this guy who really, really, really does not like green eggs and ham. And we don't know why exactly. Um, maybe uh, he doesn't like the sound of it. Maybe he doesn't like the color green. Maybe he tried something new one time and it made him throw up and he's like, I'm not trying any more food. We don't know why. Maybe he doesn't like the guy who's trying to, trying to interest him in green eggs and ham. But for whatever reason, he does not like green eggs and ham. And then there's this other guy. What's his name? Sam, Sam, I am, who's really convinced this guy would like it if he gave it a chance. And let's put it on the screen. We'll say it together. What's his response? He says, I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam, I am. Now, Sam, I am. He doesn't say, okay, well, you know, I guess green eggs and ham in for everybody. He doesn't give up. He kind of keeps at them. He says, well, try them, try them, and you may. Try them, and you may, I say. And the guy it's kind of interesting, isn't it? He's actually never actually tried green eggs and ham. At least he's never tasted the real thing. So he's not budging. I will not eat them in a house. I will not eat them with a... I will not eat them in a box. I will not eat them with a... I will not eat them here. I will not eat them there. I will not eat them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam. I am. That's that. And that pretty much describes uh, some people's attitude toward the church. That pretty much describes how some people feel toward Christianity. I do not like it. I will not do it. I've been turned off, burned out, bummed out, thrown out, ticked off, ripped off, disillusioned, disappointed, disgusted. And I, when it comes to church, Christians, God, and all that stuff, I just, I do not like it, Sam, I am. And sometimes it's not because they've never tried it. Sometimes it's because they have. And found it distasteful. You know there's a growing negative perception of Christian, Christianity and the church in this country. A lot of people hear it and run, run, run the opposite direction. I mean, I, I get this all the time, you know, in my profession. Uh, I'm on a plane having a nice conversation with somebody. It's going really swimmingly until it's like, well, what do you do? It's like, oh, here we go, you know. Sometimes I think I'm just going to say, uh, I'm into a global enterprise. We have people in every country, you know, or, uh, or maybe next time I'll say, uh, uh, I, I do heart transplants. That would be, that would be better, wouldn't it? Or I, I could just say, I'm a shepherd, anything. But when I say I'm a pastor, they're like, oh, oh. I was just starting to like you. You know, but whatever, you know, you see that the culture has changed around us. The, the landscape has changed. There's a, there's a pluralism. We're not the only game in town anymore. We're not the only ones who define morality. It's not, we're not the center of the big dogs at the table anymore. There's a smorgasbord of spiritual options. There's, we're living in a postmodern era, which is sort of anti-institutional, anti-everything that was. Uh, Anti-anything is with standards. So we live in a post-Christian era where, where we're, we're basically the away team. 
huh? We used to be the home team. We'd come in, everybody cheer and hope we win. Now we still play the same game, but we show up, everybody boos and hopes, you know, they don't care about us. We're the away team. And things have shifted. There's no cultural magnet drawing people to the church anymore like there used to be, sort of automatically. You've heard me share about some of the statistics here. Um, The rise of the nuns. Uh, I'm not talking about those with black and white habits. I'm talking about nuns meaning those who when asked, what's your religious affiliation, check the box that say, ain't got none. None. It's the fastest growing religious group in America, the nuns. And even faster growing now is the duns, those who are, I was in the church, but now I'm just done with it. I'm disillusioned, I'm disaffected, I'm disconnected. And so it's no exaggeration to say the Christian church is losing some traction in Western culture. But it's not just because these massive micro-cultural shifts. Sometimes, you know what the problem is? The problem is actually the church. The problem is the people in it. Sometimes that's the problem. Because... Some of the foibles and problems and setbacks, we have to look in the mirror. It's the lives of people who claim to follow Christ that sometimes live in a way that even a casual observer recognizes as incongruent with with Jesus' call to be loving, fair, kind, engaged, sacrificial, patient, unselfish, compassionate. People know that's what Jesus is about. And sometimes their impression of churchgoers is that they see Christians instead, and the data supports this in numerous studies, what they think of Christians is judgmental, Hypocritical, too political, anti-gay, narrow-minded, anti-science, naive, cliquish, isolated from the real world, a hundred years but not behind the needs of society, good at giving guilt trips but not so good at actually connecting anyone with God, people who are mean and grumpy and weird and sometimes always talking about money and if I wanted to play bingo, I'd join another meaningless club and if I need an app, I'll stay home and take it on my own couch. Sometimes it's deeply personal, like maybe you've been hurt by the church or someone who called themselves a Christian. I, just, I had a, a woman made a critical remark to me on Facebook. It happens. It's what we do. Something I said she didn't like, took issue. I brushed it off and never gave it another thought, but she, it bothered her, and she circled around and wrote me a nice apology on email. And She said in part of her letter just this weekend, she says, um, I'm having, I guess, what you would call church issues. I'm struggling with major bitterness from growing up in, and she names the kind of church it was, she felt was kind of cult-like and very abusive. She said, it's no excuse, but I guess I wanted a reason to say, see, there's my reason for not going to Mountain anymore. I'm having a hard time trusting anyone, especially a church community. But listening to your voice at the funeral, I just knew I needed God, and I didn't want to stop being a part of this church. Sorry for taking out my church paranoia and bitterness on you and something so stupid as a Facebook post. I said, well, you might want to come this weekend. <laughs> Maybe you've got some issues with church too. Don, Don does because she was 17 years old. She got pregnant and got thrown out of the church she was in. Later, she was studying science and had a lot of questions, went back to church, tried to join. She asked her questions. They took it as a sign of disrespect, asked her to leave. When it happened a third time, she said, I'm done. Who needs this? So what's your reason for being disappointed with the church? It's okay, you can be honest. You know, as an outsider, uh, if you're an outsider, you probably got a lot of disappointments. Probably why you're not part of the church, because there's something about it that you're just, eh, that's what God's about, I'm not not interested. And if you're an insider, well, then you get a close front, front row seat to all the problems. You probably have even more disappointments. We all do. 
We all do. Maybe it was just a church that just seems to uphold their traditions more than really connecting people with God or maybe it's something that's happened to you. Your heart got ripped out or some big problem you took to God in prayer and it didn't go your way. He didn't answer it. He didn't fix it. And now you're just like, why would I want to go to a church that worships a God that lets someone I love die of cancer? You know, for a lot of people, a reason that they get kind of disillusioned and turned off to church is they'll say something like this. They say, I, you know, reason I don't go to church is there's not, you know who the church is? Nothing but a bunch of hypocrites, right? You know, this guy, nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Some of you uh, remember the movie from 1994 starring Jim Carrey called the mask. It's from where we get the word, um, smoking. If you just a little history there for you. It's about a guy who finds this mask and the mask has special powers and when he puts it on, he kind of assumes a different persona, gives him special powers and it's cool for a while, then he discovers he can't live without it. He actually has to have the mask because he just kind of takes on this other persona. And you know, a lot of people do that in real life. They live behind masks and kind of present a false self to others. That's, that's the name for that is hypocrite. Someone who lives behind a mask presents a false front to others. And Christians are particularly good at this. And that's what turns so many people away from the church, actually. We all know of some public figure, pastor, priest somewhere, you know, saying one thing, but then abusing kids or stealing money or cheating on the side or whatever. But it's all of us. It's down at the grassroots level, isn't it? So maybe religious hypocrisy bugs you and you're turned off by that. I would, I would want you to know you're not alone. In fact, you might, you might be helped to know that Jesus really, really was bothered by religious hypocrisy. It might be strangely ironic and encouraging to you to know that. In Jesus' day, in fact, they had the religious leaders of the day of the Jewish faith were Pharisees. They were like on top of the holy heap because they got to make a lot of the rules, so they set it up to win. They, they were the ones who uh, kept the rules and were looked to as the most holy among them because they kept all the rules. But the truth was, Jesus came along. He, Jesus has a way of like seeing right through us. You can try to put up a facade or a mask, and Jesus knows us. He connects with us at a heart level, not at some exterior level of where we try to act religious on the outside. He's not impressed. He doesn't even see that. What he sees is us. And he saw these guys, these Pharisees, for what they were. And he has actually some very scathing remarks for them. Some of his harshest criticism is against religious people who try to present one thing when inside they're another. I thought I'd share some extended words from Jesus with you today. Probably more than will make you comfortable, but I think that's kind of the point. So, let me share with you some words from Jesus. Matthew chapter 23. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, now remember, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're standing right here, but he's talking right past them. He's talking to these guys about them, which is kind of rude. The teachers of the law... And the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example because they don't practice what they preach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands, but they never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show so people can see. Okay, wow. Then he turns and talks directly to the Pharisees like Toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose, eye-to-eye. Some of your Bibles will say in verse 3 the words, Woe to you! It's translated here, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't even go in yourselves and you won't let others enter either. 
What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn, and, you turn that person into twice the child of hell you are. Whoa. Yowza. Jesus, tell us how you really feel. Jesus says, I'd be happy to. He continues, verse 23. <laughs> what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, like justice, like doing the right thing, like mercy, like caring about people, like faith in God. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. You're like blind guides. You're leading everyone, but you don't know where you're going. You strain your water out so you don't accidentally swallow a little gnat, but you're swallowing a camel. Verse 26, 25. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish. They had all these rules about religious ceremonial stuff. They had to wash the dishes a certain way. But then he's pointing out that inside, inside yourself, you're filthy. You're full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. First wash the inside of the cup. And the dish, and then the outside will be clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Do you think Jesus has an opinion about hypocrisy? It's very hard to tell from the text. You could read it any number of ways. No, you can't. It's pretty clear what he thinks. And the word that Jesus is using there for hypocrite was taken from the Greek stage. You remember the amphitheaters and the Greek dramas they would have in those days. And uh, so they would come out and, and an actor would come out and, and would, would use a big mask that would kind of have the, the features in front of it of the character that he was going to play at that moment. He might come out one minute and play the part of an old man, a rich old man, and the next moment he'd go behind stage, get another mask, come out and play the part of a, of a poor old woman, and the masks allowed them to sort of take on these different characters. The, the, the Greek word for those masks actually relates to our word persona, and this is the word that Jesus is using, hypocrite, to refer to what he's saying. He's saying some people are doing that. What those guys do on stage... Some of you are doing that in real life. You're just taking on a mask, a persona. And he condemns it. And don't miss the point here. Jesus' Jesus' main problem is not that they've got some dark things on the inside. Jesus knows what to do with that. His problem is not that they've got bad stuff on the inside, but when we give the impression that we don't. The issue isn't interior brokenness or selfishness or sinfulness of any kind. It's the false exterior that we display. It's the deception, the mask that makes us a hypocrite. And it's also what makes Christianity distasteful. And it's what the devil uses then to weaken the church. When we act like hypocrites, we're actually not being honest with God. And so we're not really connecting with the one we need the most. And it also drives us from each other because everyone smells it and doesn't want anything to do with it. So this is important stuff. And friends, it's why the church simply cannot be a judgmental place of holier-than-thous that pretend to be perfect. A place that shames people for messing up or confessing or, or, or sinning. Because that just trains everyone to be fake. It just trains everyone that's not acceptable to learn to hide your sin, get behind the mask. When we can't accept each other, as broken sinners, as that's how we that's how we get in. That's the whole deal. That's the point. 
That's why the church, we say right here, no perfect people allowed. If you're perfect, get out. That ain't for you. <laughs> Go some, to some perfect church, right? So, be out, don't, you know, it, what happens is, honest people in a church like that, they realize, you know, they know they're broken, so they don't want to stay around a place where everyone's bad. And so all you have left is all the phonies who are good at playing the game and covering up and being pharisaical and acting like I'm doing religious stuff on the outside when inside we're filled with dead men's bones. And when we do that, we might make ourselves look good to someone else in the short run, but far more people are turned off to that kind of unattractive place, a collection of hypocrites. Because when we're so busy convincing everyone, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, that we really don't need God after all, we're far away from the gospel. But when we can just say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Oh my goodness, that's when all of a sudden the relationship with you and God gets close. Now he's got something to work with. He can come to you. And guess what? It works the same way. We have fellowship not just with God but with other people because other people hear that. You know how it is. You hear someone confess that they're not all right and you go, wow, me too. And suddenly you're drawn to them and you can have real fellowship with God and real fellowship with each other but not if you're convinced that you're going to try to be a hypocrite. Try to fake it to make it. So, if you're a person who's kind of hung up on hypocrisy among Christians you're turned off hear this Jesus is as disgusted with it as you are and really it doesn't make sense for you for hypocrisy to be the thing that keeps you from Jesus I mean he's not the problem right in fact I would say to this to you if hypocrisy repels you then that tells me you're a person who longs for, for something that's real and true and, and, and is what it appears and that just tells me you're going to be so attracted to Jesus he's the real deal he's the real deal he's real grin eggs and ham you're going to like it I promise if you just get to know him he's the most unhypocritical beautiful person ever to live yeah so so be careful about the judgments you make based on one christian or one church or whatever you know let's just make up a scenario here let's say you go to a restaurant and it is like the worst experience you've ever had at a restaurant right you get there you wait for an hour to get in the table is rickety and not enough elbow room it's loud and raucous there's gooey stuff that sticks on the table like that the way the menu's written in russian and the waiter's a jerk and tells you to hurry up and brings the wrong stuff and it's cold and overcharges you tells you to leave because they're going to close down and you're just like that was the worst now you would be right to make a judgment about that restaurant wouldn't you you might be cautious about going back to that restaurant i would probably wouldn't go but would you say, that's it, I'm never going to another restaurant again? I mean, would you say that? It doesn't make sense. Would you say, that's it, I'm done with food? No more for me. All food is bad. You know, and yet this is the same logic that I see people applying all the time on something so important about their, their, life, their spiritual life. They're like, they have a bad experience, some Christian's a jerk, or some church treats them poorly, and they're like, that's it. I'm done with the food of God. Really? It's just not even good logic. It shouldn't make you stop seeking Jesus. Jesus, as Vince Antonucci says, Jesus isn't to blame for the bad experience you had with a church or a Christian or a congregation somewhere. In fact, he's as upset as you are. As you are. Now, now we're, while we're meddling a little bit, let me just say we probably got to be a little careful here and, and maybe just, can we just admit that all of us are a little bit hypocritical? hypocritical ourselves can we just admit that I mean unless you're one of those people who say you're not hypocritical in which case well there you go <laughs> you know what I'm saying do you perfectly live out everything you believe really 
Every value you hold about patriotism, the country, the family, work ethic, generosity, you, you live all that out perfectly every single day. Really? Wow. Huh. I mean, it, it's even funny how, how this is just so much built in a part of who we are. I mean, you go on a dating profile and, you know, you, la you ladies pick a picture from 10 years ago and 30 pounds ago, put it on there, that's me. Some guy puts on there, I like long walks on the beach, romantic talks over wine at midnight. It's like, no, you don't. Cow. Tell the truth. I like sitting, uh, watching football and eating Doritos in my underwear. It's like, that's why we don't put the truth out there sometimes. The truth is ugly. But don't worry. Here, here's the good news. Jesus loves you not as you are, but as you, not, not as you should be, but as you are. Let me get that right. That's important. Jesus loves you as you are, not as you should be. That's pretty important. It's pretty important to know. Soren Kierkegaard, Danish philosopher, said this. There comes a midnight hour when everyone must unmask. It's coming one day. We're all going to stand. And all the stuff we tried to hide in the interior comes out anyway before the one who made you. And so what the church is, when it's working right, is a place where we just in broad daylight come to Jesus and say, here's who I am. Can you fix me? And he's like, absolutely. Now I got something to work with. And he comes and he heals and he tends to our sin and our brokenness and helps us and draws us together in these little communities that we call the church. When they're working right, they're people, not with masks, but people who pull their masks away and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And now listen, if you're inside the church, if you're inside the church and you realize, you know what, I'm a bit of a hypocrite, like I stand before you as a hypocrite, man, we got to remember that Jesus hates that. He condemns hypocrisy. He doesn't want us to be hiding that stuff. Jesus hates it, but you know what, he doesn't hate me. He doesn't hate you. He doesn't condemn you. In fact, he comes to save you. And you know, one of the things that he comes to save you from, hypocrisy and our tendency toward it. Here's Vince. The beautiful truth, he says, I've learned, is that God is not just for those who've been turned off by the church. He is, but he's also for those hypocrites who've turned them off. There's even grace for you and me. And if you're on the outside of the church looking in, you've been turned off by hypocrites. I stand before you as part of the problem. I'm sorry. I've not lived up to so much that Jesus has called me to. I'm so many, so ways not like him. But what I'm saying to you is, it's not really about me and what you think of me or this church or any church. Your deal is with Jesus. You've got to deal with Jesus. In broad daylight or at midnight hour, one or the other, you've got to deal with him. And it does matter what you do. Listen, if you find a perfect church somewhere, do not join it. Please, you'll ruin it. <laughs> All right? This church is filled with hypocrites. Come on in. There's room for one more. There's room for one more. People who are humble enough to say that's one of the things that we need Jesus to save us from. It has to do with Jesus. So while we're at it, I want to say some things to those who are really turned off by the church. And some are really turned off because of things that have happened in history and what Christianity they think stands for. A lot of times when we have problems with historical Christianity, sometimes Christians will come and they'll want to offer an argument. They'll want to say, no, here's what you really should think. Sometimes people call that apologetics. Apologetics is more, but sometimes it resorts to that, just kind of an argument. I'm not going to do that today. If you're turned off by the church, I suspect that what might help you more is not apologetics, but an apology. So in a very sincere way, on behalf of Christians and myself, instead of apologetics, let me offer to you who are turned off by the church, an apology. 
I'll start by saying I apologize for the Crusades. That blemish in the church's history from the 11th to the 13th centuries where in the name of God, in the name of the church, we went around killing people, calling them holy wars as if there were ever a greater oxymoron than that, taking cities and committing all kind of atrocities under the name of Jesus. And I apologize for the Inquisition, another dark time in church history where we put people on trial for not believing the right thing and then turned them over to the government to beat up on them. I apologize to people who were sent out many times by the church to discover the new world. And when they got there, they ended up killing the natives in the, in the Caribbean, in the South America, Central America, North America, all in the name of Christ sometimes. I apologize for those in the U.S. who were racist and tried to make it look like the Bible justified their inhumane and uh, activities around slavery. And I apologize for Christians who are still racist today, who perpetuate the divide and fail to recognize that Jesus came to break down the dividing wall of hostility between us and God and us and one another. And I apologize for cheesy televangelists who try to sell God like it's a Ginsu knife on an infomercial. And I apologize for priests and pastors and counselors and people who wear the name of God who have committed heinous crimes against children and then when, when it was discovered tried to cover it up. And I apologize for Christians who try to change the world but not through love and biblical justice and relationships the way Jesus did but through political power and coercion and who have made Christianity resort and reduced down to a political voting block and an unattractive and ugly thing. I apologize for churches that are toxic and abuse people and never really hold out the good news of the cross. I, I apologize for churches that have watered down the truth so much and been so politically correct they have no power to really save or help anyone. I apologize for churches who, who make Jesus seem boring and stupid and irrelevant or weak. And I apologize for churches who make it sound like you can't be a real scientist and use your brain and have faith at the same time. And I apologize for Christians who show up on the news always announcing what they're against and never what they're for. I apologize for Christians everywhere who claim to follow Jesus who said the most important thing was to do is love and yet they preach a gospel of hate and wave signs. There's a lot of people who claim to represent Jesus who don't always get it right. Jesus talked about this. He warned us about it. He said there'll be false prophets all the time. A prophet says, I speak for God. Jesus says, yeah, not everyone. Some of them have the business card and they wave it in your face. They say, I'm with him, but they're not an official rep. They're not an authorized dealer. Trust me. Jesus warned about that. He, he said, just, you'll know a tree by its fruit. You can see who Jesus is. Look at the fruit. If a, if a tree keeps dropping pears, 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 and says, I'm an apple tree, it ain't an apple tree. Look at the fruit. And you can see who Jesus was. And if the person repping him doesn't look like Jesus then you don't have to believe everything they say and make a judgment about Jesus based on them. And I know some of this is more than just history. Some of it's personal for you. So while I'm apologizing, can I just say I'm sorry if you had a Sunday school teacher or someone in religious education who, who belittled you or made you never want to go back because they told you to take off your hat or stop running in the hall or quit talking. I apologize if, if you had Christian parents who used the Bible as a weapon and made you think of God as something to be feared rather than someone to be loved. I apologize for that uncle who had a Bible on his coffee stand and a stack of porn under his bed. I apologize for the people who you knew were Christians, at least on the weekend, but who during the week you heard scream at each other through the walls next door or gossip and tear down and be vicious and mean to, to others and yet get in the car and head off to church with smiles on their faces on Sunday morning. I apologize for, for 
anyone who, as a Christian, made you feel second class because you couldn't dress a certain way to show up at church. Or I'm sorry if you went to a church or a church leader and you had a real problem and you brought it and you felt like they mishandled it and mishandled you and mistreated you and didn't listen and didn't offer you any help and gave you some kind of simplistic cliche answer. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, and I'm part of this problem, I've got to tell you. I just am. We are all so different sometimes from what Jesus was really like. Jesus who was this loving, dynamic, engaged, passionate, compassionate, funny, fascinating, fair, just, fair, loving, a most amazing person ever. And we just don't always be that way, do we? So I'm sorry. Sincerely. It probably also needs to be said that once in a while, it's crazy, but once in a while, people who wear the name of Jesus let a little Jesus show through. Now, this is actually more amazing to me. You know, the church is a human and divine institution, right? If Jesus would have just said, I'm going to start me a church, but I'm going to make it all God, well, that would have been a pretty good church probably, but it wouldn't have involved any of us. It's a human and divine institution, and Sometimes the human shows through too much, and that's what turns us off and turns us away. But once in a while, God works in this strange mixture with this human divine institution, and you see the beautiful bleed through. You see Jesus bleed through. You see broken people like us come together, humbly saying, Lord, have mercy on me, and he, work, he chooses to work through us. The church is the hope of the world. We're plan A. Oh, no, there's no plan B. But good news is God works through broken things. And once in a while, you see the church do something, and you're just like, wow, that was just like Jesus would have done. And it's amazing and refreshing. And if we're going to be honest about it, we have lots of things to be embarrassed for, but there's some things that are kind of remarkable too. I mean, if you want to look at history, let's look at history. I mean, in the early centuries of the church, Christianity grew like crazy, like wildfire. Unbelievable. How did it happen? Well, one of the reasons was the plagues. Plagues were wiping out humanity. At one point, two-thirds of the whole area would be wiped out. At one point, 5,000 people dying every day in Rome. And everybody's running out of the city, running for their lives so they don't get the disease. Except the Christians who stayed and who served and took care of the sick and loved on them, many times taking their own disease into their own body where they died in service to others. Now friends, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And it turned heads of the ancient world. So much so they said, what is going on here? And it grew like wildfire. And that kind of act of Christ-like love once in a while bleeds through and you, go, you get a little glimpse of it and you go, wow, that's amazing. It's not what I thought about the church. And God still uses us. Or think about the abolitionist movement that finally put an end to the enslavement of people of African descent in England and the U.S. You know how that happened? It was Christians. It was Christians who believed that their faith in God said, you know what, we're all created with inherent value from God and this, what we're doing is not right. And it was people like Harriet Beecher Stowe who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. She was the daughter of a preacher and she, she, was, she was abhorred at what she saw and was experiencing in her own life. She said it was a dishonor and a discredit to Christianity. We could go on. Did you know that Christians, in the name of Christ, have founded the majority of the world's hospitals? Did you know that? Did you know that we're still the single greatest provider of health care in the poorest places of the world? Free health care all over the world for the terminally ill? Christians do that. Christians do more for caring for the poor and the marginalized, for schooling of children, and create the most orphanages of anyone in the history of the world. More debt relief for the poor, all from Christianity. Because people were trying to serve Jesus. You know what? Foster care, social work, uh, rescuing children from abuse. Christianity 
is the impetus behind most of the world's efforts in these things. Christians have let out in prison reform, labor reform. It was Christians who founded the 12-step program to help people discover a way to get free from addiction. Christians motivated by Christ's care for the handicapped is what led to advances in Braille and education for the deaf. All the great literacy movements to help people get educated and move forward in life that happened, almost all of them started with Christian impulse. 138 of this country's first universities, 128 of them started by the church. The Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals owes its start to a Christian ministry who said all of God's creatures matter. Organizations do so much good among the poor and disenfranchised with food, education, and help, and health care, like World Vision, Compassion International, Habitat for Humanity Builds Homes for the Poor, Salvation Army, YMCA, Red Cross, International Justice Mission, Rafa House uh, Sex Trafficking Rescue Work, all of it, Christians, because they want to live out the love of Jesus. Christians donate more money to hunger, malaria, prison rape, genocide, and, and uh, uh, they're the bravest people you ever meet. They, they, they're more apt to serve and show up. So yes, we have a lot to apologize for and there's so much that's embarrassing that blemishes the record of the Christian church. But you know what? If we're going to be honest and truthful, let's just admit that, you know, once in a while, God's in this. This is amazing. Once in a while, people show the love of Jesus and it happens to the church as well. And if you're a Christian, you just got to realize you're representing, you're representing Christ. And people do notice and they draw conclusions about Him based on how we are. So it matters to that we live lives of godliness, purity, And if you're losing your faith over something that's happened and turned off, just remember, if you say, I don't believe in God anymore, don't worry. He still believes in you. And he invites you into not a perfect church, but a place where you can be honest about yourself and find that you'll have a God who doesn't love you as you should be, but a God who loves you as you are. And that's what the church is, is a collection of people who get what God has done for us in Christ. I promise you that's what we're trying to do here at Mountain. I'll also promise you we won't get it right. We won't be perfect in this. But I will tell you, we're recognizing that the church is the hope of the world. And it's the most important thing God's ever started. And what we're trying to do is the green eggs and ham thing. Just kind of bash some stereotypes because so many people are sure they know. They're sure they know. But if Psalm 34, 8 says this, just taste and see that the Lord is good. You're going to like it. It's green eggs and ham, I know. But I know you think you don't like the church. I know. But will you try it? And when you do, when the guy in the story tried green eggs and ham, what happened? He's like, mind blown, like, whoa, like the old uh, Gomer Pyle. Surprise, surprise, surprise. It isn't what I thought. And that's what kind of church we want to be. So we can say, surprise, surprise, surprise. It isn't what you thought. Dawn, remember I told you about Dawn? That woman had been thrown out of three churches, pregnant at 17. Years later, someone invited her to this church to watch a baptism. She came in with her coat on, all skeptical, arms crossed. But something happened to her when she saw that baptism and she saw what was happening here and the way people welcomed her, kind of opened her heart to worship and all. She came back months later to welcome the mountain. God had her. God had her and loved her. And she realized that all the impressions she had of the church wasn't really what God was like. And Don became a follower of Jesus and she still serves him well to this day. We love being that kind of a place where you can bash some stereotypes. You can surprise people, turn some heads and say, it ain't what you thought. It's green eggs and ham, man, and it ain't bad after all. You just never got a chance to try the real thing. And that's how I feel about what we're trying to do. We're not a perfect church, I'll tell you that. Here's what we're perfect for. We're perfect for people who hate church. Mountain's a great church if you don't go to church, if you don't like church, if you don't care about church. We're a great, safe place for you. And God is like Sam I Am saying, just come on, taste and see. And this is a safe place to do it. You know, 
Once in a while, you see this. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Turns heads like, oh, I thought the church was this way. I thought you hated gays. I thought you were segregated. I thought, I thought you were mean. I thought you were boring. You say, oh, guess what? Guess it ain't that way. It doesn't have to be that way. We, we did these services. We stepped up just humbly to say, we'll serve in any way we can for these fallen officers in our county recently. The outpouring of service was amazing. What's more amazing is how people were so amazed by it. They were like, thank you, thank you. I, I can't tell you the number of people who were like, we're so amazed and impressed at what, what you all did. And I'm like, it's what we do. Surprise, surprise. Try it. You like it. One lady came up to me. Actually, I'll tell you about this. An old friend emailed me. He says, I'm not religious, but things are hard in my life. My life is a mess. And I saw what you guys did, and I feel like maybe I need God too. You seem like a cool place with cool people. Maybe I could try it. How do I get started? Surprise, surprise, surprise. Sometimes we can be turned off by ch churches because we just need to see Jesus at work through them once in a while. And once in a while that happens. A woman came up to me and said, after the funeral at the graveside, she said, I heard you say some things today on TV about peace. I know that's what I need in my life. Do you have a place for me? And I said, I started to answer. She says, but you've got to understand, I don't do the church thing. I said, oh, we're perfect church for people who don't like church. We need to realize the church is probably not what we've thought. Even if we've been part of it, you know what? It needs to be better than it has been because someone every week, like that prodigal son far away, is coming home. And they're gonna, they expect to find a judgmental, glaring stare from an older brother, but what they're going to find instead is open arms of a loving father who's going to welcome them in and say, let's have a party. Let's have a party. And let's serve hors d'oeuvres. You know, they're going to walk around with hors d'oeuvres trays and walk around and start the DJ, have the band. You know what's on the tray of hors d'oeuvres? Green eggs and ham because it's going to be good after all when you taste and see what the Lord is really like. Let me pray for you. God, help us to be a kind of church that's not like the church that we would be if we were in charge. Help us to be a church that reflects your heart. And I pray for the one who's turned off by the church, Lord. Help them to know right now in this moment God isn't turned off by them. Help, help the one who's running from you and from the church to know that you're pursuing them and that you want them to taste and see that you are good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.